China isn't just about scale. China is now on the cutting edge of biomedical science. I'm Jeff Stewart from Sineos Health Consulting. I'm joined today by Patrick Nealon, head of oncology here at Sineos Health, and rejoined by Nick Kenny, our chief scientific officer. We'll be talking about the opportunity of doing clinical trials and the drugs being developed, especially for cancer, in China. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. China, pharma of the future, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Nick Kenny, Patrick Nealon, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Jeff, it's nice to be back. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. So we're talking today about China. Nick, we've met before. You're Chief Scientific Officer for Cineos Health. I haven't met you before, Patrick. So Business Unit Head for Oncology. Okay. Well, welcome. I expect extra smart answers on this one. China. The very little bit I know about China is from mergers and acquisitions work I've done. A lot of money that became a lot more money into Chinese companies. They were looking to buy a lot and to start to invest in U.S. companies. Now they're looking to invest in European companies because of political difficulties between our countries and trade. And I also know, and again, it's that small, small slice, is that regulatory in China was very difficult and sometimes even made clinical trials for things like generic pricing on companies that were moving into China. So I'm just about at the zero point of all my knowledge is now on the table. What's going on in China? So China has, within the last two years, made some changes. The regulatory environment has changed dramatically where protocols are now being submitted and approved by the regulatory agency in China, either within a year or less than a year, depending upon whether it's oncology or some other life-saving protocol. And obviously, this allows us to start clinical trials faster And there are a large number of both large pharma and a large number of small biotechs in China that are very anxious to do clinical trials, especially in oncology. And I think that just opens the doorway and gives us an opportunity from a business perspective to do more work there. Yeah, Jeff, a China thing for me is how long is a piece of string? Because there's been so much change. If I look back even to when You know, you and Leah and I did a podcast, what, 18 months ago, whenever that was. As Patrick alluded to, the regulations of there have changed so dramatically that where I think historically we looked at China as an opportunity for patients, but we couldn't wait for the regulatory approvals to get the trial started. That's all changed. So the access is there now. So now there's this stampede of opportunity to try and place particularly oncology trials in China. Big farmers bullying their way in there. You're trying to get much more access to sites, get them trained up and ready to do trials to the standards that we expect and that now the CFDA expects. So you've seen that sort of one-way stampede of opportunity going into China. To me, I think what's been equally remarkable, as you alluded to in the investment terms, is both the investment dollars flowing out of China into biotech in Europe and the US, but the investment dollars funding large, if you like, bona fide biotechs within China that all of a sudden have become very mature in their approach to work, in the pipelines they're developing. And, you know, there's probably no greater reflection of that than, for example, Beijing recently getting the first approval for a drug being developed by a Chinese company, by the FDA, based upon a really spectacular development plan. And so that thirst, I think, for investors to put money into Chinese biotech and the rate at which their science is changing is nothing sort of phenomenal. And everybody can see both the opportunity and the risk that's inherent in that is now what was a sort of an untapped market is rapidly becoming saturated in so many different ways. The other positive change I was going to mention from the CFDA is they're still requiring the need to see patients from China within the clinical studies, but they have certainly decreased the requirement. It used to be for a typical study in China at a minimum 
over 200 patients had to be included and they have significantly decreased that number now. So that also helps with protocol recruitment. But there are still complexities of working in China. They haven't loosened all requirements and all rules. So, for example, gene therapy studies or CAR-T studies are still very complex and, and challenging to do in China because of the requirements of not being able to transfer tissue samples and blood materials across and outside the borders of China. So this requires specialty labs within China to work on these studies, which is important to us because we want to do more work there. I think, Patrick, that touching on the CAR-T stuff is, I think, particularly interesting in China. So I think naively, if you would have asked people maybe 12 months ago about the state of the art in CAR-T cell therapy and stuff like that, everyone would focus, for example, on the work coming out of Carl June's lab at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and people like Kite and Novartis. But then all of a sudden, there was this tidal wave of CAR-T cell therapies being done in China. And I think it was about six or eight months ago, if you looked at the numbers, there were actually more CAR-T cell therapy trials in China Mm -hmm. from Chinese developers than the rest of the world summed. It sort of blindsided people. Nobody really saw this coming, right? All of a sudden, these guys are showing up at ASCO and presenting data. It's like, where did this come from? And this is not trivial stuff they're doing, right? It's impressive. But I think to Patrick's point, in that particular therapeutic segment, the challenge is still logistics, right? Correct. It's still that you can't really transport things very well across lines. So I don't know where and when that manufacturing solution will come, but when it does, if Chinese biotechs figure out how to do that over here, they could swamp everything else we're doing. I mean, the pace of investment and change there is spectacular. I think that's something that is easy to overlook if you haven't seen it, if you're not in it. The number of scientific papers written in our field by Chinese first authors and senior authors is very, very large. I don't know if it's more than half, but I think it might be. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And so it sounds like also the companies are just there and it's the size and intelligence of the companies. It matters. What does that mean for large pharma, small pharma in the U.S.? Is it just that the tidal wave's coming and you're going to be swamped out? Or is there a way that you can take this and use this as an opportunity? Well, I think there are China companies that not only want to work in China, but there is a strong interest in them doing global trials as well. I think you'll see a lot of sponsored trials that are global from Chinese companies. Yeah. Jeff, maybe just to add a little to the discussions, we've been focusing a little bit on the impact of all the regulatory and investment changes in China. And we've tended to look at that, I think, from a particular US-centric point of view. I think what's been interesting to me is what been when I've traveled to meet with my colleagues, say, in Korea or in Japan. They look at this a little bit differently, right? Because they look at their own markets and ability to attract trials to those countries. And I think Korea has always been particularly attractive because of the quality of medicine and the healthcare system and the Absolutely. density of population. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're looking at China and going, wow, we could lose a lot of those trials because the capacity in China is tenfold or more than what we can offer. They're catching up and going to blow by us. What do we do now to continue to attract world-class trials in the face of that, if you like, added competition simply based on volume? So there's a lot of regional considerations as well about where trials may be distributed, I think, in Pacific Rim countries with this sort of burgeoning opportunity in China. You mentioned earlier that there was a flood of large companies that were now working in clinical trials in China. Has that been really the regulatory side that's done that? Or what has really drawn them in? I know I saw it before with APIs, with the actual chemicals that were made there. They ran there because finally they said it was good enough. And once one did it, then everybody else had to do it. For me, it's sort of two or three things. So one, it's definitely things like trial opportunity and access to patients. But honestly, it's market Mm -hmm. too, right? I mean, if you think of, I don't know, what the Chinese population is relative to the US, but it's an order of magnitude different. And the size of that untapped market, if you like, to me, it's a a foot race 
Who's going to get there fastest, get the most penetration? Is it going to be local biotechs? Is it going to be big pharma that invested heavily in the region and in China in particular? Yeah, it's a complex equation, but I think sort of two or three things that are driving some of our big pharma partners that we work with, for example, to really heavily invest in China. And I think large pharma has focused on China for almost a decade now. But I think their ability to move faster in China is where the focus is. Mm -hmm. Their ability to get through the regulatory process much faster, the access to patients within China, and how quickly and efficiently that's going to complete the clinical trials is all part of why I think people are moving there and moving there much quicker and with more trials. So when we talk about access to clinical trial patients, it's not just clinical trial patients that large pharma is looking for. It's access to patients patients to use drug? While the regulatory environment is easier, the, the ability to recruit patients there is still more of a challenge in China. I think at a sophistication level it is, but at a volume level it's not, right? The sophistication for me is around what lines of therapy have they seen recently and is that catching up with the US so you can do those complicated second and third line trials? Mm-hmm. That will catch up, right? But has it caught up yet? I honestly don't know. And I think that's something that we need to investigate a little more thoroughly. So there's that lines of therapy approach in oncology, but there's also training of sites with this rapid influx of availability of trials. One of the regulations that changed was that historically, as I understand it, sites in China doing clinical trials were certified by the government. And if you weren't certified, you couldn't do a trial. That's right. The change in the regulation was the CFDA turned that around and said, let's do it the way that everybody else does it. The onus is on the pharmaceutical company to go out, meet the trial, qualify the site, qualify the investigator, and sign off on that. That was a huge change. So now all of a sudden you opened up many more sites potentially to trials, but you took on an added burden that you had to go out personally and figure out if they were acceptable. Nobody was giving you the sort of rubber stamp, Jeff's site in Shanghai is great because the government certified him. Right? That was a big sea change. So while it presented opportunity, I think it also presented a frankly, a quality and a regulatory challenge for how do we set about doing that? Because historically, the industry hadn't done that in China. Sure. And it's making sure they're acceptable, but also educating them on GCP and making sure they understand the importance of following the regulations and doing clinical trials and understanding how to do them and the informed consent process. There's a lot of education that needs to take place because many of them have not done trial work before. If I'm thinking about the U.S., I think about large trial sites that are academic centers in those places, and they know what they're doing, and you're just plugging into some well-known process. And then there are other sites that they've done a few, maybe. You're working with individual investigators that maybe do or do not know and need to be educated. And now a larger push to go out to the community and educate community hospitals, community doctors that have never been in a clinical trial same ecosystem that we have here in China, or is it skewed in a very different way? I'll take that at a fairly naive level, Jeff, I think. Same issue, different scale, right? So what we might think of as a regional community oncology center with, I don't know, a couple hundred beds, that same regional oncology center in China has probably got a thousand beds. So it's just a scale issue, I think, the the access to patients and the size of some of the cities and the places you're dealing with, I think, are just on a different level. I think what is going to be of interest there is also the collection of data and good data because of the large number of people, especially the indigenous population there, that their ability to speak English is not the same. Mm -hmm. So the collection of data there will be interesting as more and more trials come out as well. What's next for China? I would say from a marketing perspective, a lot more availability to good oncology medicines, potentially quicker than other places around the world, if they're able to get the approval from the regulators. 
I think there will continue to drive good science in China. So I don't think that's going to stop. It could even speed up. So I think there's a lot of promise there, especially for patients with cancer. Yeah, I'll maybe go a little off kilter on this one, Jeff. If I sort of run maybe an analogy here. In the US, when we put telephone systems together, we started with landlines, we gradually migrated to cell phones, then we all got to smartphones. That move was sort of gradual, right? Not everybody dropped their landlines immediately. They had a good cell phone. But if you look at a lot of the rest of the world, they never had that intermediary step. They went straight to cell phones. So they were already leapfrogging what we had in terms of technologies, which I think quite remarkable. So what I'm wondering is, with this rapid change in China, both in regulations and cash and sophistication, are they going to just leapfrog everybody else because they skipped a step in a good way? And I don't think we'll really know that until we see some of the maturity come through from some of the big biopharma companies that we've seen evolve there and evolve very rapidly because of the scale they've invested in. I mean, certainly in the limited time I've spent over there, just looking at the change in a two-year period for the scale and size and the pipelines that some of these guys have put together, not just trying to duplicate what they've seen going on in the US and Europe, but their own development plans with novel agents is stunning. It's one of those things people can tell you about it until you go see it, you don't get it. And so I'm just wondering if, kind of like the cell phone thing, in the developing world, if China is just going to leapfrog everybody else, because there's no doubt they're not short on capital and innovation and need. Reminds me of solar, solar yeah. power that right. Chinese companies beat a lot of people <laughs> and it changed the world for how that's done. And that could be us. Got to ride that. If you don't ride that, you're going to get crushed. Yeah. Well, Nick Kenny, Patrick Nealon, thanks so much for joining me on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you for having right. us. Thanks, Jeff. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life.